So, last week, Danny asked both congregations to tell stories about how we spend our time. We had some great interviews, I hear, with people who volunteer their time, their talents, for the church and for God's wider mission in the world. And then Louisa sent a questionnaire around, and some, quite a lot of people filled it in with um, what they do, what they're interested in doing, and what they might be thinking of doing in the future for the church and for God. Those of us who went to small groups may have thought about how we can use our unique talents and personalities to serve God. So that was a good start. We've started to get to know our church family, didn't we? And get to know what we're all good at and what we might do in the future. So today we're going to have a bit more sharing. We're going to have another questionnaire, but we're going to do it here. So we're a a church family, aren't we? We should be able to be honest with each other. So here are three easy questions for you to ask the person next to you. So go go ahead. Oh my goodness, that is rubbish. It's difficult, isn't it? We don't talk about money very openly. Louisa and Becca did a really good job of, of starting to talk about it, but it's not natural. Many of us come from a culture where one just doesn't talk about those things, does one? Because one's English. And we're also in church, right? So you don't talk about money in church. You don't boast about how much money you give or how much you've got. But money is a really spiritual issue. As we've seen in both of our readings, what we do with our money gives a good indication of who we are, of what, where our heart is, of where our vision is. And if we have a quick look at the Bible, this will underline the fact that money is a spiritual subject. So, I haven't actually counted all the verses in the Bible, but you'd imagine that quite a lot of them would be taken up with a subject such as prayer, right? Prayer is a spiritual thing. So, 500 verses are taken up directly with the subject of prayer. Can anybody guess how many verses? (laughs) It's all right, you can put it on. 2,000. 2,000 verses about money and possessions. And that's directly about money and possessions. Lots of Jesus' stories were about money. So we could count those as well. Now this really amazed me. 288 of those money verses are in the Gospels. And can anybody guess what proportion of the Gospels this represents? Wild guess? It's a tenth. It's almost exactly a tenth of the Gospels is about money. So either somebody's having a joke with us, or there's a really good reason for that. There's a very famous preacher went through his Bible and actually cut out all the references to money, and he ended up with a very, very holy Bible. I did did think about... Sorry. I did... (laughs) I did think about having a go at it, but frankly, it would would have taken me too long. It was, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to do, though. Look through all of the references about money. You can see them on, on any concordance um, online. 
or if you happen to have a Strong's Concordance, which I particularly like. It's like a breeze block. Jesus was great at telling a story in response to a question, wasn't he? It must have been pretty annoying for the people around him sometimes. All they wanted was a straight answer. The person who questioned him when he told that parable was probably the younger son. And he probably, his dad would have died, and the younger son wanted his portion of the inheritance, which is a normal thing to want, isn't it? And his eldest brother would have had at least double what the younger son had. And often, the eldest sons didn't want to break up the um, inheritance so they could keep the farm together. I often wonder whether the elder brother was listening to Jesus at this time as well. Who was Jesus telling this parable to? Of course, Jesus knew exactly what his listeners needed to hear. In those days, you would have gone to a rabbi and asked him to divide the property, to make a decision. They probably wanted him to do that. But instead of dividing the property and giving advice like any other rabbi, he went straight to the heart of the matter, didn't he? He told a story about a man who relied on his own possessions instead of the goodness of his own heart. He may well have been super rich in this life and had some massive barns full of stuff, but in front of God, he was a poor man. What he did with his money showed what was in his heart. Now, there's a famous quote about money that is attributed to the Bible, and it's often attributed completely wrong. So if we can have the next slide. That's what you hear, isn't it? Money is the root of all evil. But that's not what we've just heard in our reading. If we could have the next one. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Much more nuanced. Money is not an evil thing, of course. It's what we do with it that counts. It's our attitude to it that counts. The rich man is a fool because he fails to see that everything belongs to God. He can't rely on things to save him. Do we save up our money for a rainy day that might never happen? Or do we put our money where our heart is, where our vision is? Now, Jesus told many, many parables about money, and they didn't suggest that it's always a bad thing to have a lot of it. In fact, his parables advocate good stewardship of money. And they advocate looking for your money when you've lost it. (laughs) It's a good idea to have a look through some of Jesus' money parables. See what kind of overview you get what God might be saying to you. And there's a short list of some of Jesus' money parables um, on the website, and it will have been sent to all of your small group leaders. Because, of course, there is a really good reason why we're concentrating on this issue at the moment. Time, talents, treasure, stewardship. Not because it's that time of year again, but because we are about to embark on what will be a very costly project at St. Stephen's. Costly in time, expertise, and most definitely in the financial sense. We're all going to need to think hard about whether or not we really want this to go ahead. And then we're going to have to put our money 
where our vision is. And in that spirit of honesty, I have to tell you something that I find really difficult. Um, Danny mentioned that he and Debs have, have, have been tithing for a long time. Um, and actually, Danny and Debs are in the top 25 givers in our church, in this church. And Will and I are there as well. We have a lot of generous people in our church, but we could be doing better. We really could. And I, I can feel my hands sweating while I'm talking about this, because it's not normal, is it? It's really hard to talk about money sometimes. But I think we're going to have to get more honest with ourselves, with God, and with each other. Don't worry, we're not going to start publishing a list of donors and who's given the most which month. We're just, we're, we're not going to do that, are we, Danny? No, okay, because, good. No, we don't know exactly who gives what. There's only a few, very few people who know that. Okay, we hear how giving is such a blessing. And about how you get, if you give a tenth of your income, you might get even more than that back. But, okay, God is very faithful to us. And he knows what we need. And I'm sure many of us have wonderful stories like the story that Becca just told about the car, which was excellent. But... Giving is hard. It's not natural. It is sacrifice. Even though we know in our heads that everything belongs to God. It's not a sensible thing, giving a massive chunk of money to an organization that already has loads of money, is it? But there's a mystery here. The act of giving itself is part of being a Christian disciple. Jesus is our leader and the best and only example that we have of how to live fully and completely as a human being. We want to follow him, right? We want to grow to be more like him. Well, think about it. Jesus was and is God. The God who made the earth. The God who is outside of time. The God who inspires all human creativity and work. And he chose to come to earth as a helpless baby who needed people to feed him, clean him, and make sure he blew his nose. He emptied himself of all of his power just for us. He lived as a human just for us. He died a horrible death just for us. He died for us whether or not we decide to follow him. This is love. This is the ultimate example of generosity and giving. Total emptying of the self. Now, I'm also not suggesting that you give everything you have to the church because then we just need to look after you. And that's not necessarily the way it works. But... We can't begin to understand what Jesus did for us, but we are trying to become like him. We do remember it and celebrate it, Jesus emptying of himself every time we come to communion together. Because Jesus didn't just die for us, he rose again and sent the Holy Spirit so we can follow him, so we can listen to him and learn to live like him.
We come to his communion table to remember that we take his Holy Spirit into ourselves, just as we take the bread and the wine. If we really believe that God is directing us to have this great vision for the future of St. Stephen's, we need to take the responsibility for this. We need to do it. We are Jesus' hands and feet in the world. Yes, and perhaps we're also his bank balance. Are we willing to put our money where our vision is? Because, of course, everything we have comes from God in the first place. Or we could say, dear Lord, everything in heaven and on earth are yours. Thank you that Jesus showed us how to be generous. All we can do is give a small part of this back to you with our love and our thanks. Amen. Video about donuts. There we go.
But the truth was, the other man was sharing his donuts. Listen, listen. God owns all the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> You never thought you'd hear that before, do you, in church? God owns all the donuts. And he does. And every-